Good morning and welcome, everyone. As we just read, I'll be talking to you about Acts 16. Um, but at first I wanted to talk about Acts in general. So the book of Acts teaches, about, teaches us about the early church. These Christians made unheard of claims about the forgiveness of sin and how to be made righteous in God's sight. These claims all centred around Jesus Christ and his life, death and resurrection. These claims were unheard of at the time. As in most religions, there's, there's a God and you have to sacrifice to him if you've sinned and if you want him to do something for you, you have to follow his teachings and maybe if you have the right sacrifice and you follow the teachings well enough, uh, maybe he'll bless you with whatever you think he should be doing. But Christianity came along and taught that forgiveness of sin and righteousness had been given by the grace of God. The gospel means good news, something that's already happened. Um, and gospel was a common word in those days. If there was a battle, heralds and there was a result, the heralds would run to the town and produce the gospel of what had happened um, when a new... Caesar was anointed, there'd be a gospel, the good news about that person. So for Paul to come along and talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, people knew instinctively what he was talking about, something that had already happened um, and something that was good. In, chap in chapter 16 of Acts, we see Luke's eyewitness. So it talks a lot about Paul and Silas, but as you we'll see, Luke keeps on saying we. So he must have been in there, though I don't know how he got out of going into the prison. Um, first we meet Lydia, who through the teaching of the Apostle Paul came to faith in Jesus. Then we see a slave girl who through a power encounter with Jesus cleansed, it was cleansed of the spirit that possessed her. Then we see the town jailer, who through the love and witness of Paul and Silas asked to become a Christian. So let's get started. Philippi, the leading city in Macedonia, a Roman colony founded in about 360 BC. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate where we thought, we thought there would be a place of prayer and sat down. Um, and see in verse 13, it says, we... So, yes, definitely Luke was there with Paul and Silas. This wasn't a large crowd because they sat down. Uh, if there had been a big crowd, you would have had to stand up to preach and talk. But there may have been a few women down there outside the city gate by a river uh, that he could talk to. They're called God-fearers. And God-fearers was a title given to Gentiles, non-Jews, that were reading the Hebrew scriptures and worshipping God. And here in that meeting, we meet Lydia. What do we know about Lydia? A dealer in purple cloth, a businesswoman. She would have been wealthy. Purple was very hard to make and it was very expensive. You had to find the certain shells and crush tens of thousands of them up just to get a small amount of dye to to make the purple cloth. 
and later on in the Roman Empire and other um, empires, only the Caesars or the people in charge were allowed to wear purple. She came from Thyatira, which is in Turkey. Uh, Askazar is about 600 kilometres from Philippi. So she was not a native to the native Macedonian. God-fearer, gentle, Jewish scriptures, looking for God. Lydia listened to Paul's team and the Lord and opened her heart to respond. Uh, she'd been reading the scriptures, but when Paul came along and talked to her about them, it almost started to make sense for her. Uh, Lydia urged the group to come and stay at her house. And in verse 15, it says, not only urged, but she persuaded us to stay with her. I think she must have been a pretty good arguer to get Paul to change his mind from what I know of Paul. Okay, so the next person we meet is the slave girl, possibly a Greek, um, as they were going to a place of prayer. Prayer. When a slave girl met them who had a spirit that enabled to foretell the future. What do we know about the slave girl? She was either sold by her family or her people were taken as slaves. So she might not have been Greek. Um, she was probably about between 10 and 14 and because the word in the Greek means girl like a young girl not a young lady, not a woman, but a girl. She brought her owner's great profit by fortune-telling. The original text calls her a ventrilo ventriloquist, which means that she spoke in different languages. I don't know if you've seen... Um, oh, what's the movie again? The Exorcist. So she probably spoke in different little girls, 14-year-old, speaking with a deep manly voice at different times. Um, yeah. And she was shrieking. So it wasn't just pleasant. It was just loud, shrieking, weird voices coming out of this kid. These men are the servants of the Most High God who are preaching to you the true way of salvation. So she knew who they were. How did she know that they were at this point? No one had ever heard of missionaries before now. But she was out there screaming away at this. Um, in verse 18, Paul becomes so annoyed and turned and said to her, in the spirit I command you, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. I like these bits of the Bible. I mean, if you were going to make it up, you wouldn't put them in. Paul sounds like a real grump going mad at this poor little girl. Um, and all through the Bible, there's all these stories that just, if you were making it up, you wouldn't have put them in there. All of the references to women. In the first century, women couldn't even give testimony in court. But we have so many of the Bible, uh, including women and starting with women, um, short little quiz, pop quiz. Who do you think the first Christian was? The first person that believed that Jesus Christ was going to save his people from their sin would have been Mary. And then who gave the first sermon? It was very short, though. The other Mary, he has risen. 
So if you're making it up, you wouldn't you wouldn't have put this sort of stuff in there. But he does. The Bible does because it's true. And there's lots of other stories that you go, oh no, I don't believe they wrote that down. Paul often tells us he's the worst sinner and this shows that he's just a normal bloke like you and me. You get annoyed from time to time. And Paul, going to the place of prayer, he only found women. He didn't say, oh, sorry, can't talk to you a lot. I'm a Pharisee, can't be talking to you women. I've got to go and find the men. He sat down with them and he explained the scriptures to them. So... He's cast the, cast the spirit out of the little girl and her owners are upset. Any thought, any money they'd been getting out of her, they couldn't anymore. Paul and Silas's clothes were torn and they were beaten with rods. Not pleasant. Severely beaten, it says, actually. I remember it as Pauline Dredd. And here's where we meet the next person. The Roman jailer. Who's the Roman jailer? What do we know about him? For all intentional purpose, he would have been a re- retired Roman legionnaire. When you got too old to traipse around Europe, you were given a job as in the civil service like this. The, 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 the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. Paul and Silas would have been semi-naked. Their clothes were torn off. They would have been bloody. They might have had broken bones from the rods. Um, but he seems to be indifferent to any of their pain. He grabs them, puts them in the inner cell and sticks their feet in stocks. This isn't the nice Disneyland pair of stocks you get or I'm really old, Australiana village stocks. These are things that spread your legs apart to the point of uncomfort. And off he goes. Um, 12 o'clock at night, Paul and Silas are singing singing hymns and praising God. They're obviously not upset about it. Um, some commentators say the, they were free, but the guard was in chains. Um, so God brings an earthquake and breaks the, opens the gates of the uh, prison and breaks, breaks the shackles on the people. What would have happened if the Roman guard, so he comes and he sees the gates open, he thinks, oh, good, goodness gracious, <laughs> they've all gone. Uh, so he takes out his sword to kill himself. If you had been a jailer in those times and you lost your prisoners, there would have been a very short kangaroo court and you would have been executed. So he was just being pragmatic and saying, okay, all right, I'll just do it now. I can't help but wonder what happened to those poor guards that were guarding Jesus' tomb. Paul called out in a loud, loud voice, we're still here. The prison guard called for lights and fell at Paul and Silas's feet. What must I do to be saved? To me, that's a strange response. What must I do to be saved? Um, but that's what he said. This is the time old question that most of us sort of ask. What must I do to be saved? Paul's answer would have been unthinkable for him. Believe in the Lord and you will be saved. 
It was just as simple as believing in Jesus. Yeah, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John 3, we have those famous verse, so that everyone who believes in the Son of God will have eternal life. But in verse 14, Paul also brings up the example of Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. And Numbers 12, the people were complaining to God, just for a change, and God sent poisonous stakes into the camp and some of the people were bitten and died. Then the people repented, oh Moses, why is this happening to me? My life is so terrible. Um, prayed to be saved. And God tells Moses to make a bronze snake and raise it up on the post in the camp. What did you have to do to be healed? You just had to look at it. You didn't have to go over and touch it. You didn't have to bow down eight times. You didn't have to do anything. Just have enough faith to look at that snake and you were healed. And that's the same with Jesus. You don't have to do anything. Jesus has paid the price. We just have to believe that he was able to do it. So the prison guard was saved and his household were baptised. It wasn't until the guard was saved that he showed some compassion by washing Paul and Silas's wounds. If we look at verse 33 and 34, is that up there? No. Um, how do we know that the guard had found Jesus? He brought them into his house. He showed them hospitality. He washed their wounds and gave them food. He showed charity. The entire household rejoiced because they believe in God. They had the joy of God. Something from what we could tell earlier of the, the, the guard, he seemed very indifferent and very callous to everyone, and particularly Paul and Silas. How different are these three people? Lydia, successful businesswoman, probably a house on Woolaware Road, maybe a holiday house on the, on the Gold Coast. The slave girl, possessed by a spirit, by a spirit exploited by a slave masters, talking in strange voices, maybe hanging out at Cronulla Mall, or even worse, up at Sutherland Station. The prison card, callous, indifferent to the pain of others, working class guy from Engadine or Heathcote. Sorry to anyone that lives there. But the gospel of Jesus is relevant to them all. Lydia, who through the teaching of the apostle Paul came to faith in Jesus. Lydia had given up worshipping the pagan gods and was reading the Jewish scriptures. She was looking. Here we have the classic case of someone who is earnestly seeking God and God bring Paul's, brings Paul to her to show her Jesus. Verse 14 says... The Lord opened her heart. And I believe that we choose to become a Christian, but at the same time, God's spirit is calling us. The second, the slave girl, who through the power encounter with the name of Jesus was clean to the spirit that possessed her. The spirit knew who Paul and Silas and Luke were. They, they called out an servant of the most high God. And she screamed that they had come to tell you the way to be saved. Uh, it could be the true way to be saved, depending on which version you look at. And then the third, the town jailer. Through the loving witness 
of Paul and Silas. So when the chains were off and when the doors were open, they could have taken off. This guy's treated us appallingly. We're not going to stay here. Let him suffer the, the consequences. But no, they kept, and they, it says they kept the other prisoners in there as well. There, were they angry with the jailer for being so callous? No, they showed forgiveness. They showed love. And it, obviously Paul must have known that the jailer was opened to hear the gospel. And then we go down to verse 40. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia, where they met with the believers and, count, and encouraged some of them once more. Who are these people? He's been there a couple of days. He spent a night in jail. There's only the women out of the river that he's gone to preach to. Um, so it would have been Lydia and her family, maybe some of the other women from the, the prayer group, the jailer in his family, and possibly the saved girl. Who would start a church with that group? You've got the upper-class Woolaware Road types. Then you've got the slave girl imprisoned, treated harshly, owners, and then you get the callous, indifferent guard. That would have been the ones that met. And for the first 300 years of the church, they met in houses. There are very few churches from the third, until the third centuries. And lastly, I'd just like to close with this point. Uh, we've maintained all through this series that Luke is writing to Theophilus, Theophilus um, as an uh, apologetics for Paul who may, may have been a, on trial. And I think Luke is trying to show us how much Paul has changed by using the example of these three people. Jewish men at the time would often recite a morning prayer. Blessed art thou, O God, for not making me a woman, a slave or a Gentile. Thank you very much.